Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Greetings. You're listening to the podcast, So There I Was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode 89. He cold-cocked me. Don't! He did. Welcome to the Navy, son. (laughs) Great story. It is a great story. No sponsors this week, though, Fig, but that doesn't seem to matter. We still had money coming in. How'd that happen? Well, we have a new aircraft tanker, (laughs) new tanker aircraft commander, easy for me to say. Thank you, Rick Mosley. Thank Thank you. you. We are humbled, sir, by your generosity and your support. Thank you. We are indeed humbled by all of you who support us every week. We are grateful to have your assistance in bringing these great stories to you. We also got another five-star review. Fig, we're back on track, brother. So that's this more one like goes, it. yeah, this one goes fantastic. Best and most entertaining aviation related podcast available by far. You'd think I'd learn how to say aviation after all these years, yeah, a, a real yeah. opportunity to sit in on hangar talk with the legends in military aviation. Great job guys. So thank you for that review. That's great. We appreciate that. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about our our guest this week, Gallo, may have something to do with drinking a certain brand of wine. <laughs> Ernest and Julio. <laughs> Ernest and Julio Gallo. So, yeah, yeah, that's a great story. You know, because I know I wasn't sure. And, no. you know, of course, he's a great storyteller, raconteur, as you say. And boy, when he told that story, I was right there. <laughs> no, too funny. Had something to do with purple teeth. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> If you got to have purple teeth, you may as well get something out of it. And a good call sign is one of them. So, yeah. and then, but we start off the show with how we got, how we got this week's show title right away. He hitchhiked. You heard it. Hitchhiked. Hitchhiked, hitchhiked to the Naval Academy to start his education. His, That's right. His, uh, yeah, his higher education. <laughs> And he shook, he stuck out his hand to shake the gunnery sergeant's hand, and what he got was Colcott. <laughs> yeah, gunnery sergeant stuck out his hand too. <laughs> Only his was closed a into faster. a fist. <laughs> Weird. That's right. So, and uh, he he was determined to spend four years in the Marine Corps and then get out, as he said he didn't have a military bone in his body. Instead, he got out many decades later with a couple stars on his shoulder, and is a legend. Yeah. Tired as a major general. Aviation. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I, you know, one of the figures that you hear over and over when, you know, when you and I were in the Harrier community, holy cow. Right. He was a test yeah. pilot, did a lot of testing on the uh, AV8B, I guess the Y-AV8B. Right. right. Great stories, great rack and tour, combat, combat deployment in the, in the F4 in Vietnam and then. Just, just incredible stories. Right. Wonderful stories. Truly, truly blessed, blessed aviation career. Right. Wonderful stories from a wonderful man. We're privileged to have him with us. We're going to break this show into two. He spent three hours sitting with us. So we're going to break this up in the middle at about an hour and a little less than an hour and a half, somewhere in the hour and a half mark. We'll break it up and we'll have Gallo again back next week. But for now, I think we go into this week. Any advice for you? Yeah, let's get out of the way. This here is a true let's get story out of the way. About crossing Don't the sit on the ejection seat. Yeah. Here comes Gallo. Don't do it. Hard to find. In the world's smallest cockpit, 
on the tanker through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was. Uh, it wasn't always so there I was. It used to be longer. When I played golf with George Grottle, B-29 pilot in World War II and a great storyteller, he always started out with, so there I was, 30,000 feet flat was so thick you could walk on it. As we played golf with George, he was a real piece of work. We were playing alternating shot in a tournament, and I hit one up on the side of a hill. It's about waist high, and I said, oh, George, that's a terrible lie. And he said, no, no, you don't get it, Gallo. He said, looking up at the ball is a bad lie. We don't have any of those out here. So anyway, he's looking up at the ball now, but we miss him, and he's a great storyteller. And I've been looking forward to meeting both of you guys because you've been hosting some great storytellers, and I really enjoy your podcast. Wow. wow. And that is how all great aviation tales begin, and we've got a great one ahead of us today here, folks. Let me assure you. They are recording for the first time in 2024. Happy New Year. Repeat here, coming to you from New Hampshire. Where's my co-horse today? I'm in uh, Kearney, Missouri, just outside Kansas City, and boy, I am... I am really excited to uh, listen to our guest, Gallo. Absolutely. And, and seven, probably seven pages worth of stories that I, I can't wait to get. Let's crank them out. Let's go. <laughs> Gallo, welcome, sir. Thank we uh, generally don't use names, but I, I think in your case, we're probably going to not have any choice but to do so. Distinguished career, retired Major General, United States Marine Corps. Phantom driver, Harrier driver, human being extraordinaire. Welcome, Gallo. <laughs> that would argue with the last time. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, that's great. So, uh, well, how how'd you wind up uh, doing this Marine Corps thing? Uh, what what interest do you do down this path? Well, I tell you, when when I was at the Naval Academy, I knew that I was going to start out. Uh, I was planning on just doing the payback uh, four years or so. And I'd probably be doing it with young enlisted people and on the different travels in the, in the Marine Corps and on, and during the summers going out in the fleet, I never met a sailor who was proud to be in the Navy. Uh, <laughs> and I never met a Marine that wasn't proud to be in the Marines. And so I said, that made it easy for me. I said, if I'm going to sure. do four years and I only planned on doing four cause I didn't have a military bone in my body. And I said, I'll do what I have to and then get out, but I want to do it with Marines. Oh, there you I go. Did. So what, what year did you enter the Naval Academy, sir? 64. All right, 1964. Okay. You were the class of 68, right? Class of 68, that's right. A lot of interesting people. You've had a couple of them on this podcast already. But there's some others, uh, Mike Mullen and Ollie North and Jim Webb. And All right. It was a very interesting class. Yeah, when, uh, when I was thump, in. Thump, 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 all those names dropping. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. Jim Webb was the Secretary of Navy when I was at the basic school. He came out to a live fire exercise. Oh, great. Yeah, that was it was awesome having him there. Oh, very cool. Very cool. And I remember asking my CO about 
he at uh, 203 when I went back as an instructor, he came in and took over as CEO. Thummer, in fact, I remember asking him, oh, what's it like being a CEO? You know, you're the same rank as this guy, Oliver North, and, uh, you know, all the things he managed to do. And he's like, yeah, well, you can't really do that as a lieutenant colonel if you, the, you know, there are green lights and red lights, and uh, he had no lights, or he wouldn't have gotten <laughs> Half I, of that stuff slowing him down, but I think being a CEO might be the easiest job in the world. You have a whole group of young guys that are anxious for you to do well. I, I would contend right. you got people that have pretend that you're a good pilot. They'll prop you up. They'll they want to make the skipper look good. And I would contend that if you're a bad CEO, you have to actively work at it, and because <laughs> you've got too many people, you're surrounded with too many people that are that are pulling for you. Fair enough. Fair enough. But you know what amazes me then when you put it that way, sir, is uh, how many guys uh, are actively working. <laughs> right. No, hey. that's that's not true. I think I think most guys generally wanted to do the right thing. There were a few, a few guys who went out of their way to be bad COs. So So let me uh, let me back up and ask you why why the Naval Academy? Yeah. What 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 got you interested in going to the Naval Academy to start with? I I watched on TV, there was, a, there was a program at the time, Men of Annapolis, and it was pretty nifty. I, I, I enjoyed watching that. And the other part was it was the price was right. And you had no question about that. It, what do they say? A $300,000 education coming your way a nickel at a time? Right. <laughs> I tell you what, the bottom line is, like a lot of things, you think back and say, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do the same thing. And so that's the acid test for me. And if I had an opportunity to start over again, I'd go right back to the Naval Academy. It's a great, a great start with a lot of fabulous people. And like a lot of things, it's worthwhile. Not fun, but it's worthwhile. There you go. I'm certain it had to get more fun by the end. You can't be four years of hell. I don't know. They did their best. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't recall my fun meter being pegged at any point. Oh dear God, that's so, awesome. So is there? Is there? Uh, I have a note here. That says hitchhiking to the naval cat. Did you hitchhike to start the naval? Yeah, they wouldn't even buy you a ticket. I did. No, there was no. There was no tickets. I had five brothers and two sisters, and the uh, the uh, hitchhiking was good for for all the guys. But anyway, I did hitchhike to the naval cat. I mean, I showed up. And I had no idea what I was getting into. And I, I met, there was a gunnery sergeant in a big hallway, and I, I walked up to him. I want to get started on the right foot. I put my hand out and <laughs> said, hi, I'm Joe Anderson. Nice to meet you. And he cold cocked me. I, apparently, it wasn't nice to meet me at all. And I, <laughs> that was not the first time that year that I said, this has been a big mistake. Uh, <laughs> these, these people don't like me. <laughs> Oh, that's, 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 so that set the tone for you right there. No, right? I have no idea to this day. I can't uh, fathom what would, what would prompt him to just, to just haul off and let me have it. I guess he did. He, he was waiting for some smart ass 18 year olds and I, and I was, I fit the bill. He was, maybe he was having a bad day. Right. And you were the, oh, you were the catalyst God. that said he won't be I think so. That, that's <laughs> almost a show title there. He cold cocked me. <laughs> Right. Oh my gosh! Boom! Welcome to the Navy, son. <laughs> yeah. What uh, What was your major? What was your major uh, at the Naval Academy? 
just out of curiosity. Um, I had a, everybody's major was engineering. Okay, okay. I had I did have a minor in English literature, so. Nice. Uh, I should I should I should have known better to even ask that because I knew I know you I know you were a test pilot at one point. And they don't let you know underwater basket weavers get into test pilot school. Oh yes, they do. <laughs> oh, I applied every year and I never got. I oh, never I applied. Got a I applied a dozen times, and I finally Colonel Keck, who was the uh, he was the CEO of the MAD, he finally wrote me back one point and said, "Always a bridesmaid," or words to that effect. But anyway, I finally I I, do, I wouldn't let him beat me down. I. I applied, I applied many, many times. So they, what are you saying that they just said, oh, this guy isn't going away. We just may as well give it to him. I think so. I think (laughs) it was just persistence, but it was a, it was a fabulous time to go through because they were testing the F-18. You know, you can go through test pilot school and wind up testing radars forever or or some drones or I can't fathom being congratulations. You can now be a drone pilot. At the time we were doing the aviate. 88B, the YAV8B, ski jump. We were doing the LHA shipboard compatibility test. And so it was all those things. It was just, it was a wonderful time to be a test pilot there. It was just, the timing was just very fortunate for me. What and We did the pre-chat. You were telling me a little bit about some of that, some of the ski jumps. Was it the 15 degree one you said looked like you were running at a wall? <laughs> it was. It, does, it sounds like you say 12 degrees. 15 degrees. I mean, what can the difference be? Well, visually, it's just, it's, it looks like a wall. I got to fly the 15, 15 degree jump, never got back to the U.S. But uh, John Farley, who was the chief test pilot for Hawker Sidley, he wanted to fly the YAV8 and they struck up a deal that they would send me over to Farnborough in 1978 and I would fly off the 15 degree ski jump. And I think I sent you that, that video i had a small clip that video was interesting only because it was the you could you could see the what kind of weather they flew test flights in in the uk i think i popped into it what 200 feet off the ski jump it was bad enough to fly into the wall but then you're in the weather but anyway it was a what the ski jump did is it it shortened your your deck run but by about one third it would the the it was a 300-foot run that I made on that particular flight, and that would have required 900 feet off of, off the ship, which we didn't have any ships at 900 feet. At right. That point. And so, anyway, it was the and the other thing it did was it rotated you to the right attitude. So it was handling qualities wise, it was an improvement. Obviously, the the point when you lower the nozzles and that's changing a lot of things. That is a hazardous part of the flight. And so it increased the safety because at that point where something could go wrong, you actually had a fairly steep climb. So to set up the the ejection parameters, so it increased safety, it increased performance, and improved the flying quality. So across the board, it was good. The reason it was never incorporated, I think, into the U.S. ships was it was the U.S. ships, the amphibs, as you well know, are all pretty top heavy. They have round holes. They have very shallow draft because they want to get in. The amphibs want to get in close to the shoreline. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they can be quite unstable or close to in- unstable. That's a tremendous amount of weight to put a ski jump on on top. The other, on the deck, the other thing, complaint about it was you don't always have Harriers or V-Stall. And it takes up a couple of spots. So you're going to yeah. have fewer helicopters. And the last thing was that 
it, and decrease the field of view for the captain over the bow, which I thought was kind of cosmetic. Right. But I did have, I had it fixed to that, all of that, but it was roundly turned down. I think if you did have an erector set with guy wires and things like that, you could greatly reduce the weight. You could see through it. You could only have to put it up when you're taking Harriers aboard. So it would become roll equipment and it would be uh, much lighter. You're, absolutely. Yeah. Regardless of what your, what your loadout is in terms of bombs, you're not going to change the distance of the outriggers. You're not going to change the distance of the nose gear and the main gear. Right. So that erector set would just be grooves and you could set up the airplane and, uh, I, I, I thought it would have been a, a, an improvement, but there's a lot of resistance to improving the amphibs because the, the fleet for the, for the Navy, there's, you don't make Admiral by running an amphib. You do with the big deck. Sure. And so that, that is really the diamond of the, of their fleet. And anything that, that detracts from that or anything that might be a suitable substitute is a challenge to the big deck Navy. Gotcha. No, so that, that make makes perfect sense. But that, man, that was my question too. Why did we never incorporate it? Since it increases safety and and, and yeah, that's yeah. A, it's a shame. Yeah. Really is. So I, I thought so. I still think so. But well, nevertheless, we uh, yeah. So I so I, we're I, we're still close to the front of the show. I've got a question from the from the comment section asking, "What was your most memorable moment as a plebe?" Well, my aside from getting cold cocked on day one, yeah, no, no, that's that's an attention getter right there. Gosh, oh, let's get back to that. Okay, all right, we'll come back to that. I, yeah. I have a question. I have a lot of memorable moments. I hesitate to try and pick one off. I, well, you I, me- you mentioned something about swimming. Was uh, were were you a rack or were you a flotation device? No, I can walk on the bottom. It was just I was not a deep thinker. I got to the Naval Academy. Was stunned to to find out they expected me to swim. And I recall you had to you had to swim a mile in order to graduate. Well, that's about 10 miles for me because I'm using 10% for propulsion and 90% is survival. And so the that was that was a real piece of work. I would have I probably would have been in trouble in the if I'd gone through Navy flight school, but I never did. I'm I may be one of the few naval aviators who's never been stationed in Florida. How about no that? No kidding. No, when I when there was a small time frame there during Vietnam where we we weren't getting the throughput through Pensacola, and they were screaming for more pilots. So they took a handful of us and sent us off to Air Force flight training, and they took another handful and sent them off to helicopter flight training, Army flight training, I believe at Fort Rucker, and we were distributed to different bases. And so I was sent to Craig Air Force Base in Selma, Alabama. Now keep in mind, this is 1968, and I just, yeah. I just, I spent the first part of my life in in Detroit and moved to Selma, Alabama in 1968. That was as much excitement as you could as you could stand. But it was a, it was a different ball game. But I tell you, the people that I went through with that's still the tightest group from Test Pilot School, Naval Academy. All those have a, alumni associations, and the mm-hmm. tightest one that I've been associated with was is Air Force Flight Training. We still get together about every five years. And in fact, we got together in San Diego last year. I, I had an operation the previous on the previous reunion. And so they took a vote and put me in charge of the last reunion, which I, my wife said, 
she said, that doesn't seem fair. And I said, it's beautiful. It's exactly what I would have done. Right. So anyway, I was in charge of the San Diego reunion, but we had, a, we had a great time. And it reinforced what I said to you before, that many a great war story has been ruined by an eyewitness. There was, was an eyewitness to everything we did in flight school. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> can uh, can I back up and ask you a real quick question? Because uh, I, I I don't I wrote it down, but I don't want to get too far away from this. So I I saw a video. So you you alluded to doing some was it YF eighteen flying as a test pilot? Uh, no, YAV eight B. YV eight B. Okay, right. Well, I then I'll I'll skip I'll skip the question. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, well, I don't know much about F-18s, but I can make it up for you. Well, I okay, let me just ask you this, because you may know about this. I, 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 have, I remember seeing footage it was, it was a, that was being filmed from a chase plane, and there was a OA-4 mic uh, also as a chase plane, and they were doing, like, weapon separation tests on the F-18. I guess it was a YF-18 at the time. And uh-huh. this bomb released, and it kind of did a octaflugeron and went and took the wing off the A four that was kind of in chase. And it's in, in, in it, and you see the A four start rolling, and they filmed the whole thing, and it rolls, it's oh, rolling. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah. And eventually, you guys jump out of it. But anyway, I was just curious to know if you were involved in that, but no, you weren't. <laughs> no, I was, I, and I want to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd yeah, I, like I that for totally sure. get that, but yeah. So, well, after after flight school, you didn't go Harriers. You got to no. you got to go fly the man's jet. That's right. It was it was great. Actually, the first thing we did was we went went to two uh, one hundred three in Yuma and flew A fours. And actually, at that point, I just had Air Force wings. And here, here's a tip: if you have Air Force wings, don't wear them on your first day with the Marine Corps. Oh boy. I, I might have, I, it's like Important bringing in safety your, tip. <laughs> it's like bringing in your medical records with VD. I mean, it's just, it's not the answer. <laughs> no. So at any rate, I, then we flew for about six months. I think I got there in January and I got Navy wings in August. And what you did in 203 was did all the things, all the weapons, things that you didn't do in the Air Force. The Air Force is very good with formation, very good with instruments, very, very structured. Tactically, they didn't do anything because a lot of the guys aren't going to drop any bombs from the from their C-141s or whatever right. else they were going into. <clears throat> so, undergraduate pilot training is it was very professional. They tell you you're gonna you're gonna graduate with 120 hours. You're gonna graduate on this date, and they they do it. And so it's oh. it's very professional, and I'm uh, it was well done. Then I got to 103. And they said, welcome to real professional aviation. You're with the Marine Corps now. You're not going to go out with a candy S Air Force anymore. And so the, it was great. And there was three of us. And we we had to we had to use the same flight gear because they were short on flight gear at the time. Oh so we just hoped the guy in front of you didn't wasn't air sick when he used the oxygen mask. Right. So, oh my God. <laughs> was that, so he jumped what? right into professional flying there. Was that the was that the F four rag? Uh, no, one hundred three was A four rag. A four rag, okay. And then coming out of one hundred three, it went over to one hundred one, and that was the F four rag, and mm-hmm. went through one hundred. And one hundred one, by the way, didn't have any didn't have any two seats. 
or two sticks. It was a at the time. I think I think the Marine Corps may have had a few airplanes with with flight controls in the back seat, but at the at that time there was none in 101. So the uh, I, I flew with Gazelle. I would, he, he probably remembers 30 units on on downwind better than I do. It's I recall he got very excited. 30 units anyway, of a, 30 units of AOA. Yeah. <laughs> which was which was really a bad idea, but yeah. it didn't it didn't bother me at the time. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, there was no, but it was it was great fun. Then I get orders to El Toro, to three fourteen, and that was the Black Knights, and they were doing that was a, at the time there was a lot of there was friction between NFOs and 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 pilots, you know, on who's in charge and who's this, and they there was a number of pilots that were not fond of NFOs and I think it was kind of an active plot. They they would they took the very worst guy that they could pick and made him CO of three fourteen. Oh. And that was the <laughs> and that was my CO. And he was he was awful. He was he, he was absolutely afraid to fly. He put himself on the flight schedule. He told ops to put himself on the flight schedule every day and every day he canceled. And so anyway, it was the, but I think it was a plot because if you, if you really had it in for NFOs and you weren't interested in them being in charge of anything, you take the worst one and put them in charge and say, Hey, told you so. <laughs> hey, uh, I've since, by the way, and I don't mean that as an attack on NFOs because I've, I've certainly seen some of the best in, in combat then. And when I went, I headed out, let's see, it was, we were doing, individual rotations. There was unit okay. rotations and individual rotations. And I was individual. And at the same time, a buddy of mine who was an East Coast F4 driver, we met at maintenance school. It was about at one point I was holding off to start 101 and we we're in a pool down there. So I volunteered for all these schools. So I went to, I went to Ford Air Controller School, which was a mistake because that sets you up for getting you, a factor. You bet. <laughs> Although I managed to avoid that. I went to legal school. I went to maintenance officer school. I went to unattended mine sensor operator course in Fort Arizona. <laughs> That's great. But Sounds anyway, like the only I, school you didn't go to was the underwater Audubon conference. Yeah, <laughs> That's, right. That's right. But that was a lot of schools while I was waiting to start. So I met, I met Julio. The other Gallo boy at, at maintenance school, and we had a we had a great time there in Memphis. And then he he got orders overseas from the East Coast the same time I did from the West Coast. And so he got over, and I I was in Guam on leave. My father in law was the CEO of the ship repair facility in Guam. I dropped my wife and young daughter off there, and then that's just great. This is my you you have to interview this guy. It's Ed Jazz. It's no, Jazz. Jazz. Yeah, Jazz. first guy to jump out of his carrier. Yeah, that's right. So I'll call him later. Anyway, <laughs> I'd rather talk to you guys than listen to Jazz. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, well, thank Joe. you. Yeah. So anyway, Sorry, we Jazz. Were, I, was, I was in Guam, and I heard that the squadron I was supposed to go to, 115, was just recalled from Japan back to Da Nang. And I, I didn't know what the rationale was, but it was pretty exciting to find out, whoa, wait, I may not have missed the war. And so that was pretty exciting. So I, I caught the next flight out, much to the chagrin of my 
of my wife who was going to, we were taking our first vacation in Guam. Oh, and I said, love, love to stay here, but it got to run. Oh, and geez. so anyway, I got in, I got into Da Nang and checked into 115 and Julio was my roommate in Vietnam. And we, hey, Gallo, what, 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 what year was that? What, uh, 1972. 1972. Thank you. It was late in 72. And there was one, it was, we were in Da Nang with, 115, 232, and 533. Two F4 squadrons, one A6 squadron. Charlie Panther was in. He was in 533, right? Yes, he was. Yeah. So we were there together. And let's see the. So then we were there for a month or so, and Julio and I were roommates, and we moved to Namphong, the Rose Garden. And I, I, that was an interesting place. The Rose Garden was just a strip in Thailand that was. There was at first no air conditioning, no electricity. It was no, it was MRRC rats at the time. And it was pretty sparse living. It was pretty sparse living the whole time. I don't know how much you, you two know about that, but it was, it was not, it was not a great deal. No. And the only thing they sold at this little PX was they sold some, I think it was Paps Blue Ribbon and, and Gallo wine. And (laughs) we, I wound up with purple teeth. As as did my roommate. <laughs> finally, the, the skipper started referring to us as the Gallo Boys, and so anyway, the Gallo Boys it stuck. And so he, as a matter of fact, Julio is still. Most people don't know that his his actual name is Michael, and so, <laughs> okay. but it created some measure of confusion having two call signs in the same squadron. So. He, we broke up as Julio. I, I can when I see guys that I've served with in Vietnam, I always recognize them because they call me Ernesto or Ernie. Okay, <laughs> okay. So anyway, Julio Gallo. <laughs> that's right. My my Ernesto rubbed off, but Julio didn't. So anyway, that's how we got to be the Gallo boys. The, even the facts awesome. knew us that way. We'd come in. We say, "Is that the Gallo boy?" We, yes. So what do you got for us? We said, "We got some shake and bake. We got some." <laughs> Napalm and, and cluster bombs. <laughs> so, anyway, the uh, it was a lot of a lot of great stories, bad living, but it's what we signed up for, so it was pretty exciting. Sure, wow, very cool. <clears throat> so, how how many uh, combat missions did you? Uh, did you Two hundred nineteen. Is that all? Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, so uh, do you, do you remember your first one? I do. I do. The first, uh, yeah, they would team you up with a, with a, a backseater who is a veteran. And so okay. that was good. And the, we had, we had some really excellent backseaters in the, and so I had a very good one. The, it's really interesting. The first time you get shot at the, you say, these guys are not mad at us. They, you know, they don't want you to go home. They want to kill you. And I said, Whoa, my goodness. That's the, that's, that's a realization that's that's a lot different than you than what you'd guess. Right. But my first one, it's great. 115 was on a unit rotation. So the whole unit came in and came in then they went to Japan. They were there. They only had about a month left when they when they got to into Vietnam. Maybe two months. Okay. Because we were about a month in Vietnam, then over to the Rose Garden for the next 11, 12 months. So and the first one you could i they wouldn't they wouldn't give you any forward firing ordinance cuz they didn't want you to shoot down anybody in front of you 
You could only go to south of the DMZ. I mean, it was some hand-holding that was big. Wow. And you, you were really a nothing burger at the time, and they made sure you understood that. And so we did that for a while, and then the squadron rotated. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you went from FNG to old hand. You could go, you could go up north with forward firing ordnance. You can go on a bar cap. You can go on. All of a sudden, you it magically were qualified. How about and that? So, so I remember that it didn't feel different, but geez, I, I got smarter without right. even knowing it. <laughs> so, and, and what's a bar cap, sir? Oh, that's a barrier combat air patrol. What? <laughs> You'd have to get the the C one thirties up close. The that was that was quite a trick with the C one thirties. So you would take off, and uh, with twelve Mark eighty twos, a couple of drop tanks, big tanks, and you're very heavy. And then you'd tank before you dropped your bombs on your way, so you have enough gas to get there and something to get home. And then normally you'd tank on your way back as well. So it's two opportunities. And that first tanking was was not easy. Because you're up around 19 units, which is optimum angle of attack in the F4. And you could be, the C-130s were a little bit underpowered at the time. They were pretty tired, some tired iron on those and, and engines. And so you'd be very close to, I remember there's a couple guys had to go min, mid-flap and min-burner just to stay in. So you're burning almost as much fuel as you're taking on. Oh, my gosh. Which yeah, uh, That's crazy. Which leads me to another... Another story with that, the I was plugged in, and we had Tubby was our one star in in the Rose Garden, and he was a real piece of work. He he hid in his little hooch, and I don't nobody actually knew what he did, but he would come he would come out in the sunlight periodically to fly four hours and get his combat pay and his and whatever. And he and was he a, was he a pilot or NFO? No, he was a pilot. Okay. <clears throat> and I don't know what he flew, but it certainly wasn't C-130. And so anyway, he he was in the C-130, and I was plugged in. And at the time, you had to tell him to, to shut shut off the fuel instead of just pulling out because they had some problem with the hose and the resin, and, and they, it wouldn't cut off. You could pull, pull back, and it just hosed you down with fuel. The fuel kept coming out of the, uh, out oh, of the basket. And it, I think in... One case, it flamed out in an airplane. But at any rate, so you're when when you were full, you're both watching the, the gauge. When you're full, you tell them. You said, "Okay, cut the fuel or stop the fuel, whatever you want." I I said, I said, "Okay, cut it off or cut the fuel." And and uh, Tubby was flying, and so he did. He guillotined the hose. Oh and the, shit! Uh, I, I never forget <laughs> seeing the hose part. And holy shit! Here it comes. And so that it was just like a snake. It just kind of slowly came like this. It came back over, and Jimmy was in my back seat, as I recall, because <laughs> he, he's he said, "Yo, son, this is not good." And I said, "It's great," and I said, "No." And then with the not good turned into breaking both canopies. And oh shit! Then we had left. And by the way, this is twelve Mark eighty twos on board. And so the next thing it did was. It, we had a, I don't know what caused it, but it was an electrical problem with total electrical failure. And so we can't get rid of the bombs. And every, the last thing you want to do, you want to jettison the, the bombs, but the, because of, if you landed with them, there's a good chance of one, of one or more would come off. 
And we had fuse extenders on these that were all about six feet. So that made it even more awkward. Oh, shit. And so I remember the, uh, we were going to put out the rat. I said, okay, Jimmy, check, check the rat because he could see a little bit easier back there on the left. And <laughs> he described it later. He said, the rat came out there. The rat, rat is a ram air turbine that's going to provide electrical power so we can jettison the bombs. And the rat came off and then kept going in the wind stream. It just came and off and left. Yeah, you can see the corrosion at the bottom. It hadn't been, hadn't been used for nobody. Has it. I didn't see it, but Jimmy said, I could hear the dang. I said, What's that? He said, Well, nothing. So, anyway, he said, It's gone. It's gone. And so, I don't know. I don't know if we were, I think we were yelling back and forth because I don't, I'd have to review the ICS. I, I can't. I just don't remember whether or not we even had, if the battery power would, I think, yes, it did. Battery power powered the intercom. But at any rate, got back, landed, landed, they took the, they downloaded all the bombs. None of them came off, but that was, that was not good because the, you don't know, you don't know if the ejection seat, anytime the canopy's damaged, it, it makes the ejection a little, right. you had to do that a little dicier, I think. So, so, what side of the, what side of the aircraft does the probe extend from in, on the F four? Is it left or the right? Mm, I believe it's the right. What side is it? What side's the Harrier with the old fixed it, probe? It was on the left. Yeah, okay, that was the yeah. opposite. So it was okay, on. It was, it was on, on the right. right side. Okay. Wow. And it's back here. I mean, it's the it's butt level with your head. So yeah. Yeah, it's, just, it's not very convenient to to, uh, to no. see. Yeah, wow. That's a picture I sent this on a, in a cruise book to repeat there, and that was the picture of the uh, of the airplane. I think the caption was "refueling off a tug." The, <laughs> so, yeah. but you can see the, the hose is still on. That that it, it stayed on through the landing. And Toby Toby was at the time. Would you say he was the group? He was commanding general. He's a one star. Oh, he's the CG. commanding general. Task Force Delta, oh Task God. Force Delta. We had a we had a safety contingent or a, a, a security contingent of Marines. Pete Pace was a senior one, a senior guy on that security oh, yeah. contingent. And we had one fifteen, two thirty two, and five thirty three was there. Okay, five thirty three. That was it's tough, tough. They would take off. We'd fly all day, and then. 533 would, would come in and fly during the night, and they would go off and do a route pack all around North Vietnam and come back and out of radio contact for the, almost the whole thing. And then about once a month or so, they didn't come back. And so really no idea of how, Boy. Um, you know, you'd have, yeah. where do you start? Right. Yeah, because you don't know, because they weren't talking. So anyway, I, I, it, confirmed, it confirmed my decision to, to go F fours instead of A sixes, I tell you. Can I? Uh, <laughs> no kidding. So, is thermal barrier turn bowl? <laughs> is that is that in this time frame? Yeah, that was in. That's great. What is we that? Had, we had a flight surgeon, Ned, and he's just a really good guy. O B G Y N. Now that's a different story, but his. <laughs> Yeah, not much yeah. business in uh, South Vietnam in the sixties, seventies. So, so anyway, but Ned was just—he was a—he was a scout. You know, he just excited about everything, and we screwed with him as often as we could. 
and he he got me aside and he he had two two things he wanted to do. He wanted to go over North Vietnam and he wanted to go Mach 2, double sonic. He said, I think he made that up. We gotta, can we go double sonic? Well, I was doing a post maintenance check flight. I was the maintenance control officer at the time. I was doing, I had, I had two jobs in, uh, in Namphong, Thailand. One was a maintenance control officer and the other one was drug abuse control officer. Hell of a job in Thailand. So <laughs> those are different stories. It was not, not a high point in the, uh, in the Marine Corps history there, the, the, right. uh, the drug problems. But anyway, so Ned says, I have an airplane that I'm going on a test top, so it's a clean F4B. I mean, it's it's very quick, slick, slick. No, nothing hanging on it, so nothing, no drag, nothing, nothing hanging. In. It's yeah. just just go up and check it out. And I remember nudging that over, and it was Mach. I think the I think the max speed was Mach 2.1, and the and I pushed a little bit past that, and I said, I think it can go a lot faster than this. And when I got back, I said to the tech rep, I said, what is it? I didn't know if it was a compressor stall. What's the problem? Because the ramps would be fully out by the time you got up to that speed. And, and he said, oh, no. He said, uh, it's uh, limited by the canopy. Did he? <laughs> I said, yeah, You could lose a canopy or it starts to fail at that. I, oh, <laughs> So I said, so that was my last experiment. I think it'll go a lot faster. Yeah. So anyway, I said to, so I told Ned, he said, can we do those? And I said, next time I do a test flight, you can get in the backseat. So I, when I was taking that clean F4 up, I got him. I said, okay, Ned, you know, jump in. And it was great. We were taxiing out and I could hear this. Oh, oh. I said, yeah. Are you feeling a little lightheaded? He said, yeah. And I said, I said, it's called hyperventilant. I said, hold your breath. Okay. Take your glove. Pull up your face like you're going to throw up and just hold it there. I said, is it clear now? You're not as, you're not lightheaded. Yeah. <clears throat> Keep in mind, this guy's a flight surgeon. He's yeah. teaching all these things. So anyway, he held his breath. It felt a lot better. <clears throat> and he would, but I could always tell when I was getting excited because you could, he, he started that heavy breathing. <laughs> we took off. I did a loop in, in the, this is when we were still in Da Nang because I just did a loop up there. We're, we're not that far from North Vietnam, just run across so he could check the block and see. And, and he said, now, can we go double sonic? And I said, yeah, we can do that. That's no big thing. So we did. And he said, is there anything else I need to see? And I said, yeah. I said, you can't tell anybody. We, we can't talk about it. And then and we, once we get on the ground, I said, you've, you've heard the speed of heat? He said, yeah. I said, that's, that's, I said, technically, it's called a thermal barrier. And I said, in the thermal barrier, in F4, if you go up to Mach 0.98 or so, it starts, what you get is the, the shock wave is going over all your pedostatic instruments, your probe and the rest. And so everything jumps around. I mean, it's going, it goes crazy, but then it's only about, that that small band when it's going when the shockwave is moving. So anyway, I took it up to that I think point nine eight or whatever it was. It might have been a little less, but I took it up there and modulated and going back and forth through it. And the cockpit is going crazy. And I said, Ned, we are approaching the thermal barrier. And I said, and so I reached over and there's no air conditioning in the back seat, but you're out of the front seat. Yeah, I cranked that beauty up to about three hundred degrees, and I said. 
Okay, <clears throat> we're getting there, Ned. <laughs> I can hear him back there. I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> so, we, we went through the thermal barrier. And we got back on the ground, and the only time in in the rose garden that you that you weren't perspiring was when you're flying because you could turn the air conditioner on. Well, you got oh Ned got out of the airplane. He was soaked through everything. It's flight gear. I mean, it, it was just it was clearly it looked like he had been dumped in the lake. Sure. The guys looked at him. They knew exactly what happened. They said, "Oh my God, did Anderson do that? Did Gallo take you?" And Ned goes, yeah, we've been there. <laughs> it was great. What a dick. I love it. <laughs> he got to the thermal barrier. And Ned was ready to believe anything. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So anyway, that was it. He's one of the, he's one of the, one of the few, one of the few flight surgeons that's been to the thermal barrier. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Oh hey, I, I want to circle back on just a few terms that we've gone over. First of all, was the, uh, the ramps. Can you explain what the ramps are and why Here, that's important? I mean, or you have ramps that at certain, when you're packing too much air in there and you get a compressor stall, what it does is it starts to choke that off. And so the ramp, it's, oh, it's, it's in there and it starts coming out like this. Yeah, it's it's got, just inside it, the it intake. Blocks, it chokes the air down going into yeah. the intake. Yeah. Okay. So you aren't having supersonic air hit the face of the engine, I guess. Right. Yeah. So, and then AOA, we talked about that, I'm sure, before, but angle of attack is basically how you measure your airspeed in the airplane. So 30 units is extremely slow in the pattern. You were talking about that. And then someone asked us about FNG, which is uh, a new polite, funny new guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh my God. That is absolutely hilarious, the thermal burial. I, I think I had heard a similar story to that one other time a long time ago, and I thought, well, no one's ever going to fall for that. That is outstanding. <laughs> How about last Rose Garden, last flight? Last flight in the Rose Garden. Oh, well, the, the skipper had, let's see, he's passed away since then, but he's one of the best. Hank Ivey is just a, I don't mind using his name because he's just a, just I don't know anybody who had anything bad to say about him. And he led from the front and he had a lot of good policies. He didn't, he didn't mess around the, uh, on your last flight when something stupid could happen, he was the flight lead. So you didn't have to worry about somebody flying under a bridge. There were not a lot of bridges there, but anyway, they weren't going to do something dumb on their last flight, which is, and so he, he just said, that's easy. You, he scheduled, he wouldn't tell you when it, when it was, but when you got scheduled with the skipper and you're, getting ready to go home, that was going to be your last flight. And so I flew my last flight with him. <laughs> we got too close to a thunderstorm and right under the anvil, not not a lot of gas, so we're headed back and got hit by lightning and it knocked off my radome. So this is great. This is the safe last flight that we're going to take. Well, when it knocks off your radome, all your pedostatic instruments, everything goes away. And so anyway, we... I went home. That was the. I remember he he had less gas than I did, or something. But he handed me off to one of the new guys who had just checked in, and later on he went to Harriers and, and in fact flew into the ground in the Harrier. But he was my flight lead, and he took me down to about a hundred feet, and then he had give me 
you know, cleared the land, yeah, kissed me off and go. I said, I kept shaking my head. No, because I didn't have any altimeter. I didn't have any angle. I didn't have anything to, you know, he's, he wants to drop me off with the field in sight at 200 feet. I said, Oh, no, no, no. Let's go <laughs> into the touchdown. Anyway, yeah. I did. I remember I was getting low on fuel, and I and he couldn't understand why I cleaned up with him and stayed on his wing. Right. I, I kept pointing. I kept patting the dash and going down. <laughs> anyway, he finally, I think I just took a dive for the dick. <sighs> wow. What could go wrong? This is oh. horrible. So, yeah. so in this same tour, you – you had the C-130 guy cut the hose, and it smashed your canopy, and you lost, you know, both gen- electrical. So you had that, and then on your last flight, you ended up in kind of the same deal with no no electrical or no no pedostatic instruments right. because yeah. of the radar right. being gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think so. Did you ever have combat damage? Because this sounds like, <laughs> you know, why would you want combat damage when you get sh- – that's shit right. like this on a normal day <laughs> right i never had anything that i could that i don't think so i i i don't want to be so bold as to say you know they never laid a glove on me <laughs> <laughs> well were so were were your combat missions uh all co- they were all CAS, right CAS, or did you do das what what did you guys do over there in the F4? there was a little there was a, some of the some of the there's a couple barrier. Oh, I meant to tell you with the C-130, with the bar cap you asked about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because the the 130s, they're up close. Uh, they're above the DMZ, and they're pretty defenseless. So we had a couple F-4s that actually, when they, when they were going up on on the raids up north, then then in the C-130s were more vulnerable than you, that was acting as protection for the C-130s. Okay, okay, barrier cap, bar cap. Right. So you did that mission uh, mostly, mostly close air support. Okay, uh, and it was just, and then towards the end, it was, it was not very good. In January, we continued to fly. In January, all the POWs came back. This is January of 73. But we continued flying. Oh, uh, let's see, another four or five months in Cambodia and La- Cambodia and Laos and. The, around uh, barrel roll, plane of jars. It was the, but at any rate, the problem was we were getting out of the range of the of the fifty threes, the Sarbirds, and you're also the they were no longer taking POWs. They weren't they weren't useful to the North Vietnamese. They had already released the POWs, so they didn't they didn't need any more, and they didn't. So at any rate, that was I remember saying. At the at the end, we were more vulnerable than we ever were in terms of if you go down, you're, there's nobody nobody's going to help you. Right. Yeah, that's not so, good. So that was, but it was. So what, what, was the F four a good uh, bombing platform? Was it a good close air support airplane? I th- I thought it was. I, there's a lot of A four guys that would argue that. On the, <laughs> well, of course, you know, rivalry. No, the it hauled a lot. Nothing compared to what we have today. Nothing compared to an aviator, an F-18. Uh, it was just iron sight. And so the the precision bombing was less than precise. Right. I would say if you had to take out a, a, a spot target, a bridge, something like that, I would rather have a section of F-18s than a squadron of F-4s. Wow. I mean, if it absolutely positively has to be taken out, then 
you you need the sophistication of today's weapons. Right. That's saying something. Yeah. No kidding. The one th- kind of interesting thing, the I just saw, I saw that picture get brighter behind me. But you can see, and I, I repeat, I, I think I told you some of this, but when I got out of the Marine Corps, I fell into a fabulous job. My old, my wing commander was General Jack Daly, four-star, former assistant commandant. And he got out and went with NASA, and then he became the director of the Air and Space Museum. So when they opened up the Hazy Center at Dulles, he asked me if I would be his deputy and run that place. So the I started there three days before they opened and did that for next number of years. But at any rate, his deputy downtown was Don Lopez. And Don Lopez shot his first Japanese aircraft down at age 17, was an ace at age 18. Oh, my God. And he went to test pilot school. He flew all the – and he's just a heck of a human being. But at any rate, that picture behind me is a picture of him flying P, flying his aircraft, uh, painted up like the, uh, the flying tigers. Flying tigers, and that is what is the short base version of the the Japanese Zero? It's a Japanese sticks. I'll find it for us. I bet. Yeah, yeah. It's short base. It's, it was given yeah. a different name, but at any rate, that was his first engagement. He wound up in a head-on pass with the Japanese. We'll call them Zero. And actually had a midair, clipped the Japanese, took most of the Japanese wing off, took a portion of his left wing. You can see his left wing is, is, is got a little contrail. And so that was a picture of it. And I got that picture and I asked him to sign it on the back of it. He signed it. Ammo was low in China. So I winged him. (laughs) But he was just, Don was fabulous human being. The other part that I, he, in one of the nice, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the nice things about it being at the Hazy Center at the uh, Air and Space Museum was how many people came in and how many. I remember the, the what was left of the crew of the Enola Gay, Paul Tibbetts, came in, and it was just you would meet these people time after time. And I'm trying to think of the. I'll I'll, I'll write this down and get back to you next time, but there was a leading German ace, Gunther Rall. And Gunther had his airplane at the Hazy Center right across from Don Lopez's airplane. And Gunther survived the war because he was flying, when he was flying his airplane and during the war, he got shot up by the same thing that Don was flying. And it took off his, shot up his cockpit, took off his thumb and got infected. He spent the rest of the war in the hospital instead of flying combat missions. Everybody else flew till they died, you know, or till right. the war was over. So he got off, so... I was there with Don and Gunther, and they're standing between their two airplanes, and I had my camera with me. So I said, hold on, guys, let me take a picture. And I, I took their picture, and Don says, hey, Gunther, give him a thumbs up. So Gunther goes, <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great picture of Don Lopez. But that tells you something about his his sense of humor. He is just a, a wonderful human being. Yeah, well, anyway, aviators aren't busting each other's balls, right? I mean, right. you know, easily distracted. I, am. I saw the picture behind me and launched off. That's awesome. Oh, that's great. The I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. And for those who haven't been and are looking for something to do in the Washington, D.C. area, of course, everyone knows about the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum downtown on the mall. The, the annex out at Dulles Airport, the Udvar Hazy Center, is off the charts amazing the enola gay is there there's a space shuttle there they got an sr-71 there 
FedEx's first uh, Falcon is sitting there, the Wendy. So it's an amazing museum. Hey, since we're plugging things, the Marine yeah. Corps Museum in Quantico is also spectacular. Bingo. Spectacular. All right. After, so I, I got in my notes here, recruiter orders. So was that after your tour? In, uh, <laughs> That's in how I got in Harriers. Okay. Uh, I, got a, I got a set of, this is 1973, and I got a set of orders to be a recruiter in Detroit. I joined the Marine Corps to get the hell out of Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I put in for everything. I put in for OV-10s. I put in for, and finally they said, uh, how about Harriers? Uh, my monitor did. What, what, said, was, was this because they were downsizing the F4s at the time, or or are you just, or, uh, this was, no, was this I, standard? I I would have stayed in F4s if I could, but I said, I'll do anything. What oh. else do you have besides recruiting? Okay. And they said, okay. we got OV-10s, transition. <laughs> no, thank you. We have Harrier transition. And I had never heard of a Harrier or seen one or anything. I was on the West Coast and, and overseas, and I didn't know anything about it. So sure. I said, I'll, they'd sit, I said, how many seats, how many engines, all the right answers. I said, I'll take it. And so I was in the group, uh, fired up 231. There was 542 and 513 were both down in Beaufort. And then we formed up 231, the first cadre. And I, th I think I sent you a picture of that, of that group. But it was, there was no two-seaters. There was no simulator. There was no, it was just kind of discuss, right. you know? So, yeah. yeah, this is, so this is the stuff that, you know, we all heard about when we got to the rag and we're like, what? Oh, they yeah. did, the first, they the did first, what? <laughs> the first two flights were conventional flights. And I, I, the guy that chased me on FAM 1 was Tim Beard, or not Tim, Dave Beard, Rocket. And he, he was, he was a Pax River after me and after this tour, I think he went up as an instructor, but he wound up jumping out of a T2. The tail came off. They're doing steady heading side slips. And he got just ripped open, high over 400 knots in a T2, landed in the Chesapeake next to, and it just split him open and oh. landed next to a fishing boat that had a thoracic surgeon, as I recall, was, was fishing. So he goes in the ice cold water with a thoracic surgeon who who, who saved his life. Oh he God. became a motivational speaker <clears throat> and he would come to safety stand downs and things like that. But anyway, in his early life, he was another classmate from 68. Well, that just is proof, though, that it's better to be lucky than good. If you oh, had to jump out and be cut right. wide open, right? <laughs> he, was, he, he, was, uh, he was an excellent pilot. But he'd only had 10 hours in the airplane or so. And he was my, he was my chase on FAM 1. I think I lost him on takeoff roll. We didn't see each other the rest of the flight. <laughs> he, he had 10 hours. And he was the, he was the expert. The old yeah, salt. He, yeah. He was the old salt in the, in the, uh, in the, it was, these were all plain, uh, AV8s and they were rocket ships. I mean, holy cow. If you didn't overspeed the gear, it's because you were. <laughs> you weren't uh, trying. I, mean, I can't imagine <laughs> not. I can't, you weren't trying. So at any rate, the, wow. uh, we had, it was, there was some interesting times. I remember before, before our first hovers, you flew two, and then I think they noted the, the field and we were down at Buford <laughs> and we're going to do our first hovers. And, but that week 
they put us in CH46, they soaked up the bubble so you couldn't see down by your feet because you can't see you can't see your feet in the Harrier either. And so they turned off the stability augmentation system because they the Harrier is pretty squirrely, is what they yeah. that's what they explained to us. <laughs> so it was great. I've got a, a Marine major in the that took me out to one of the outlying fields and and in a CH forty six and I'm with a Rocky Nelson, who was our skipper, and the other guys were all going to we're all going to practice hovering. Is and he said, "Okay, take it up to fifty feet." And I, I said, "Okay." I had been through fifty feet twice on each flight in the F four, so I had an idea of where it was, but not very clear. And so <laughs> anyway, he 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 took it up to fifty feet, and he said, "Well, here, let me do it." And so he took it up and stabilized it. He said, "Okay, you got it." I immediately put the ball in the ashtray. I mean, I, it was, oh, yeah. it was, uh, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> then he oh, says, power. And I said, Roger that. And power in an F4 forward. So right. I grabbed the collective, boom, forward. And we, we did a hard landing. And then <laughs> the crew chief was all pissed off. And he did, because he's got a lot of work to do with the crew, with the hard landing, especially when we get home. And, the major says, that's it. You're a qual. You're it. You're good. Yeah, we're going home. <laughs> Airplanes are usable. Well, that's great. Tomorrow I die. And so he's, <laughs> this, is the, this is the day before our first hovers. And so I see Dave Racket up in the Oak Hub. This is, it's Friday. We go to happy hour. Saturday, we're going to hover. And I said, hey, Dave, how is that? How's the Harrier to hover? He said, oh, I don't know. Compared to what? And I said, CH forty six, he said, "Oh shit, it's a lot harder." That's <laughs> 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 great. Tomorrow I die. Well, I didn't die. This is the end of that story. But I'll tell you what, that was the. Uh, it's pretty exciting. I remember Drax uh-huh. Williams. He wouldn't pull power. Uh, he must have been up at two hundred feet on his hover, <laughs> and the the LSO is trying to talk him down. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Man, and he's he's the gent. Dax Williams is the gent that Sugar talked about inadvertently ejecting himself while stepping out of the airplane. Yeah, same same guy. Oh yeah. boy, yeah, and Sugar. By the way, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to talk to Sugar. I listened to his, and he didn't he didn't brag about how his instructor is one of the smartest, strongest, tallest Harrier pilots available at the time. And, and how long were you his instructor? About uh, three weeks. There you go. <laughs> oh, one of my favorite stories in his books is when you were his AMO and Chaos comes wandering down the street as a new lieutenant oh, talking God. about. <laughs> tell us about that. What, what, what was it like? You're the maintenance officer of 231, and this new lieutenant from the RAG comes down complaining about your department. <laughs> yeah, he says, I understand that they, we cut a lot of corners with the maintenance. Just, just what I wanted to hear. What? Especially with the for an audience. <laughs> right? <laughs> By the way, I don't know I was, if I was acting in my capacity as CO, as XO or AMO, because he called me in and, and Sugar did and said, you're getting promoted. I said, that's terrific. He, he said, I'm going to make you XO. And I said, whoa, that's great. Who's going to be AMO? He said, oh, you got that. He said, you're doing a fine job. <laughs> so you're going to have me both like, XO and AMO? Yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we had another guy though. Chaos was not—he was not the worst one. 
we had another guy came in. <laughs> Wasn't and, the worst one. That's high praise. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> he didn't he didn't get off in the worst foot. Yeah. So anyway, this this guy comes in and he's a he's a he tells the CEO he's a Naval Academy graduate and he he deserves special handling. Oh. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and he'll get it. And so <laughs> I said, and so the CEO says, I got just the man for you. He said, "XO, uh, you got this one." So we sat down, and immediately he wasn't—he wasn't my favorite. But <laughs> he said, "We sat down, and I—I I said, what's your call sign?'" He said, "Rosebud." And then I said, "We don't have any rosebuds in the squadron. Pick a call sign." He said, "It's Rosebud." And I said, "Okay." I said, "On this flight, and I need you to have one tomorrow. And on this flight, you're two, okay." Everything I say, all, all I want to hear from you is two. <laughs> so he, he did very well at that. A lot of twos out of him that day. And so the next day we get, we get in, the, we're in the ready room. And I said, what'd you call son? He said, Rosebud. Oh, boy. I was ready for him. I said, that's wrong, two dogs. <laughs> so, you know, he, when he went to another squadron, he tried to change his call sign. You know how successful that is. Yeah, no, oh, yeah. That, that never worked. <laughs> yeah. So That's he, great. I think, for the rest of his Marine Corps career, he was what he should have been: two dogs. Two dogs. <laughs> we we know how that goes. Why do you ask? Two two dogs. <laughs> right. Why do you? Ask? <laughs> <laughs> oh, our, this is great. But just about the time I think I'm all through flying i'm out of the cockpit for 10 years or so i get a call out of the clear blue from chaos and he says hey gallo you want to you want to fly here am i on candy camera oh it's a joke here so anyway he says he goes to the whole he said i bought a hair here and he said i need somebody to fly with me and it would be good and get yeah i think the insurance people might have been pressing him for somebody with a bunch of hours and maybe test pilot background or so. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. And he says, he says, well, you're the man. And he said, you're the, you're the first one that hasn't laughed at me. So, I said, <laughs> you're it. so that was my qualification, but that's a, that's a, that's a long story. We, I guess we did that for about. It was a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I, I, the uh, the dates run together, but what that did was got me back in the uh, got back in the cockpit. So my first flight in the Harrier was September of 1973, and my last flight was August of 2017. So if you do the numbers, I don't. I think that that may be a record that stands since we're since we're doing away with Harriers. 43 years is probably a good. Yeah, I, probably not many guys flew one over the that's, course of uh, forty three years. Yeah, that's uh, I. You, you're probably one of a kind. Yeah, uh, 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 for more than one reason. But I mean, that's yeah. that, that's that's pretty significant. Now you know, chaos tried to tried to convince repeat and I when we were talking to him. He goes, "Hey, you know, it's for sale. You guys, you guys should probably buy it." Or, when I listened to that podcast, oh yeah, it was well, great. well, that was at the anniversary. He says, "Hey, you guys should buy it. You guys, you know, we're like yeah, you know." So then we had him on the uh, podcast. He goes, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm working a deal. This guy's going to need somebody to fly it. You guys should fly it." I'm like, "Are you 
fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I would Those things were dangerous. Those things will kill you. I don't want, I, you know, I know. I, you know, I know myself. I'd die in a second. <clears throat> well, Tomorrow I, I die. I, gonna, I thought, uh, I thought it would be, I would be limited by the insurance. Because <clears throat> mm-hmm. here I am, the, the uh, 70 years old, and insurance didn't blink. Yeah. The, like Art said, the, the L39 was more expensive than the Harrier. We had to, a couple of million dollars for air shows. There's a requirement. I don't. I don't know much about the money. People ask me all the time, "What? Did, how much was the Arts airplane?" And I never ask them. I never paid for anything flying with him, whether it was a drink or, or, or a, a gallon of gas. He, everything was covered, and it was it was great because he needed me, and I needed him, and it was That's what awesome. we we never flew without the other guy either being in the other airplane or the paddles truck. That's cool. And I can say, Art, check your seat safe. I could say that six times in a row, and he wouldn't say, stop bothering me. Or, you know, it was just, we understood the only thing that could keep us alive. I thought I would be limited by the insurance company. Right. At some point, they say, you, you know, no, we, we can't do this anymore. But I, they, they obviously weren't for an aviation insurance company. I would think that a seventy-year-old flying Harris might raise a few eyebrows. You, you got it. You got an anti- you got antiques flying antiques. That's right. right. High wife. performance antiques. Right on. <laughs> yes. My wife uh, said, "You know, when when uh, when when athletes are beyond their prime, they they miss the playoffs. You know, right? Said, what do you think happens to Harrier pilots? Okay, okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah." That's a smart lady. So, uh, is this you were at two thirty one Swans Swansonian Plague Hoofs Lunch? Oh, so, Swansonian yeah. Plague. Well, there was kind of, it was it was just some fun things that happened. It was it was a high energy group, and one guy, <laughs> let's see, Rock Davis was was my one of my best friends, and he was my next door neighbor <coughs> in Rock fooled around with Hoof Proudfoot, who is our exchange guy. And they both perished in Harriers, but mm. <laughs> excuse me, not not proud of aircraft accident. But anyway, proud, he was our proud, British exchange. Uh, British exchange. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> yeah, Hoof Proudfoot. He was uh, RAF. Yep, he was RAF squadron leader. And he was brought over to be one of our instructors for that fan class. And he... <laughs> He brought his lunch in every day and, and rock was diabolical. He would cut he would cut out with his knife the size of one bite out of every sandwich he brought in for a solid year. So Hoof started putting that. He would put it in his car, Rock got to it. He put it in the safe in, in ops, and Rock got to it. And he's finally he's he's just gotten fed up with the whole thing. And he went out and got some Got some dog shit and put it on a sandwich. <laughs> and that beauty in, in the sandwich. <laughs> and so anyway, Rock cut out a bite of that. <laughs> and, and Huff said, because he, he, he suspected who he was doing it. And he said, uh, how was is, how is the sandwich today? <laughs> he said, that's actually the best one your wife made so far. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And then Mickey, who's, you'll hear more about him. He was at Navy Exchange, Mickey Squid. 
And uh, Mickey Squid. So, <laughs> Mickey Squid was, he was always bragging about his dinner. He had this and he had that. And he was just, he was a guy with a hollow leg. And he was bragging about the, you'd have a different kind of steak because Salisbury had this and that. And it turns out somebody said something to his wife and she didn't cook at all. All those were TV dinners that he would get a different one. And so oh, yeah. we talked the flight surgeon into, we took it. He had his, his x-rays for something. He, he was moving from squadron. You know, sometimes you carried your medical records. And they got a magic marker and put something right in his stomach. He just did a lump. And they talked to the flight surgeon who told Mickey that it was serious because it was, it appeared to be the Swansonian plague. <laughs> and the, it turns out if you eat enough TV dinners, the foil will come off of that and they tend to, they tend to coagulate and, they, <laughs> and you can't pass them. You don't get rid of them. And, and soon it's, not only are you going to set off airport monitors, but it's a serious problem. And so we, I think we carried him along, but he never forgave the, either us or the flight surgeon <laughs> for going over this one Sonian play. It was great. Oh, that's just that's just rich. I, I'm having a core workout right now. Like I've great. done 600 crunches. Thank you. Oh. Well, that's what I, I tell you. It's interesting. The a lot of times when you travel around, if, you, if you're the CG or something, and, and people will say, you can't, what can you see with a swanning into a squadron area and you walk through and you, you know, you can't tell whether it's good, it's bad or anything else. And I would contend, yes, you can. Yeah. I uh, first of all, is it fairly clean? I mean, are they too busy fixing airplanes to clean, clean up after themselves? So that, that's a good indicator. Yeah. The other one is how are they greeting people when they come in? How is it? Is it a club that is? In, I I learned this from Spicer actually from Sugar that when somebody comes in this ready room, you treat them like a long lost friend. It's not who are you and what the hell are you doing here, you know. And, and so right. that that rubbed off. And the other thing is, can they laugh at themselves? Are, are they being so serious that they? And if you want a high performance group. They are generally think back to some of the best outfits you've been in, you've probably, some of the best people you've known, and you've probably laughed your butt off the whole time you were you were with that crowd. So those are pretty pretty good indicators. Yeah, that's what I liked about watching the whole thing, marine aviation. When I got into it, was it this love of flying and the rest? Well, not so much because I threw up the during flight school the whole time. I saw that note. I didn't want to talk about it unless you did. <laughs> no, no. That was, the, that was awful. I had a great instructor in the Air Force. He said the first time I got deathly ill in the airplane, he sent me off to the flight surgeon. Flight surgeon says, well, some people can fly and some can't. If you come back here, uh, you're through flying. Well, you know, that's, I, that's yeah. just how it is. And the instructor said, what do you say? And he said, yeah, that's what I thought he said. He said, okay, here's our deal. I don't care what you do. He said, if you say, take take the airplane, if you lose control of the airplane, or you ask me to take the airplane, or you ask to go home, he said, uh, go back. He said, then it's done. So I, I found devious ways of, of, I just carried a lot of barf bags and got through it. And the first time I, when I soloed, I noticed I didn't have, didn't have any trouble at all. I still, I'm not a very good passenger in a car. <laughs> and I flew with Art. I've only flown with Art once in the L thirty nine. He wanna. He said, 
And I remember he did some Nalshavak. I mean, he, he set that beauty free. <laughs> he said, what do you want to do? And he said, what do you want to do now? And I said, I want to go home. <laughs> so, that was it. So, but, so if I did it by, by myself, and I never would have gotten through Navy flight school, I don't think, because I didn't. But all that went away. Thank you for that. It's truly an honor to get to hear all these stories firsthand from the actual legends. And you, my friend, Amen. you, sir, are a legend in the Harrier community to me, to right. me and guys like repeat, you know, because this Absolutely. is what when we showed up at the rag, you know, they showed us videos of all the A model <laughs> crashes. Yeah. And yeah. then we started hearing all these stories from, you know, guys that were A model guys that stuck around. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for coming with us and sh sharing your stories. And thank you for your service. Indeed. Thank you so much. And we also want to thank all of our active duty military, all of our veterans, and all the families who've supported them throughout the years that allow them to do their mission. We wouldn't have the freedoms we have without all those people who signed up on the dotted line and, and offered that sacrifice and, and the families who didn't sign up and yet still sacrificed for, for our freedoms. So we appreciate that. We need to thank also gent by the name of Dave Hamilton over at BackbeatMedia.com. Dave's got uh, Dave's got a couple of shows: the Mac Geek Gab, the Gig Gab for musicians, and the Business Brain for entrepreneurs. Advertising for the show handled by BackbeatMedia.com. If you have a show and you want some advertising, reach out to BackbeatMedia.com online and see if they can't help you out. We have some terms. Fig, what would you do if you heard a term here that we didn't go back to? Well, we have a glossary. So go to our glossary at so there I was dot us slash glossary, and if it's not there, shoot us an email. Uh, specifically, sticks at so there I was dot us, and say, hey, I don't know what this means. We 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 try to stay on top of it, but uh, we, we there's a lot of acronyms flying around today. So let us know if there's something we missed. Absolutely, spring's coming up. Got the merch store, so go get yourself a koozie, a hat, a hoodie, but bikini. with spring and summer, bikini. There it is. The so there I was, bikini. So there I was, .us slash merch. Get yourself in the store. Buying stuff there also helps us out, in addition to getting to look cool as you're walking around with our cool logos on your on your gear. So uh, thank you to our uh, Patreon pilots. We've got uh, uh, so many people that uh, are throwing uh, hard-earned money our way. We don't understand why, but we are grateful, in fact, that you do it every week. And I think uh, we might have mentioned it on the last intro, but I want to go ahead and mention it. We're up to five. We're going to make him a wing commander or something. Uh, Chucker there, five-time tanker yeah, aircraft that's, commander that's, wow that's insane yeah thank, thank you, you so Chuck. much so uh if you could rate us that would be great go to so there i was us slash rate give us a five star rating please none of this three star crap that we've been seeing not happy about that we'll take that under advisement don't try and fix it he's listening today brad silcott over at bds aviation photography.com allowing us to use some of the photos that you take sir thank you for sharing your art with us it is deeply appreciated sticks reminder uh, reminds us we have 496 members now on the so there i was facebook group that's awesome four more to make four more to hit the 500 some of that music looping in the background sounds vaguely familiar i think we've had those guys on the show that's the dose gringos the two Air Force F-16 pilots that make the Air Force sound awesome. 
great music. We do indeed. We do indeed. So that's it. Until next week, everybody, stay safe and check six. Crossing the pond And you could see that I wasn't exactly fond Of all the shit I was wearing On that day Now an F-16 is cramped enough But it's even worse With all that stuff Supposed to save your life But we knew there was no way Cause when you're going down The North Atlantic, man, it's over He said it He said it he said it's over. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room.